Hi, and welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today we're talking to Carrie Schultz of Mr. Men's Rights, a marital or family law firm in New Jersey. And we're going to talk about the conversations men have with Carrie that maybe they should have had with their wives. How are you today, Carrie? I'm wonderful, Rich. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's so great to see you, actually. It's been ages. It has. It yeah. really has. We've been COVIDing, pandemicing for so long. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I agree. We need to get out more. <laughs> this is this is about as out as I get right now. I know. Exactly. Yeah. So the question I ask everybody from, from the get-go is, how did your heart lead you to the work that you're doing today? That's an excellent question. And a lot of people ask me that. Um, the, the very short condensed story is that I was a child of a very bad divorce. Um, I was about six years old. And basically because of what happened in that divorce from, from various people who were involved, the court system, the attorneys, my parents themselves, it turned out that I became estranged from my father or better said, my father became estranged from me. Yeah, and actually really not as unusual as you would think. Yeah, um, and that lasted about 20 something, 20, 25 years. Um, and wow. Yeah, and, and it got a little complicated when um, we had a family situation and I come to find all the divorce papers. So fast forward, I'm 30 something years old at that time I find all these divorce papers from when I was six years old and, I, I, and I'm reading them not only as the six-year-old child that never knew what was going on, but now also as a, an experienced divorce attorney. So mm. you can imagine I'm, I'm reading the, these materials from two sides, from two angles, two, two lenses. And um, basically I saw very clearly where where it went sideways and where perhaps uh, I always like to say there was a hole in the bucket where there was a need that could have steered the whole situation differently. So wow. what a story. Yeah. Yeah. What a story. So that's and when I realized. What a clear connection from hard to work. I love it. Yeah. And that's, that's when I realized there was a niche here and there was a, a segment of the community that needed uh, special attention, special help special guidance because they were being forgotten. You know, we always hear about the forgotten people, mm -hmm. uh, the men, the, the good fathers, they were historically being forgotten. Yeah, so I'd love to hear more about some of these forgotten men you're working with. Sure, well, like I said, these are the fathers that do have an active role in the children's lives. These are the fathers that love their children immensely. They do take on parenting responsibilities, even the ones that don't. Um, you know, even though you have a marriage that has defined roles, that doesn't mean that that role and that the, the dynamic that exists has to be that way forever. So mm -hmm. what we see is we have um, men and, and good fathers who, you know, the marriage didn't work out for one way or, you know, one reason or the other, but that doesn't mean they want to do anything differently with their children. They still want to be actively involved. They still want to take them to their soccer games and their ballet lessons and their doctor's appointments. And it's just a new, it's a new world. And so we need to figure out how to maintain that relationship and that bond um, 
while dealing with the new set of reality that's going to come. And it sounds like in the divorce process, there may be, since we are talking about men and women, I'm so used to being really gender careful nowadays. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like there may be women who actually don't want their fathers to be involved with their children's lives. Oh yeah. Not their fathers, the fathers of their children to be involved with their children's lives. Yeah, and that's that's the um, disappointing part because as as you know, we're not therapists. That's not what we do. But as part of being a divorce attorney, you get into some of that psychological rationale and and reason. So you know, the, and and look, I don't want to paint anyone with a broad brush because that's not fair. But um, we really, as attorneys, we really ask the why. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I have a mother, you know, if I'm representing a father and the mother on the other side is saying, no, I don't want him to have this time or no, that's too much time that I have to give up my kids. Mm -hmm. I always like to ask the other attorney, I need a reason. Why? Why is this the, the legal position? And, you know, a lot of times we just hear because it's like they the mothers get possessive over their children and they feel, I mean, everything is so up in the air, right? Everything is so unsettled that they feel like this is just another thing they're going to lose, but they are short-sighted and not seeing that it's nine times out of 10 in the best interest of the children to have two very happy, well-functioning parents raise the children and continue to be involved in the children's lives. So in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the anger, and all the emotional stuff that is going down because they're just realizing, you know, the marriage is over, their life is going to change, you know, every the finances, everyone's scared about everything, fathers included. Um, we see a lot that they, the first thing they latch onto are the children, like they're a possession. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we need to not only um, disinform that notion, but we need to get in there and say, but wait a minute, that's not the right way to think about this. I would say more than nine times out of 10. I mean, I've had clients who came to me, uh, female clients who've come to me who have very narcissistic parents on the other side. And they still, but they still believe it's important for their child to have a relationship with that person. So they're working with me strategizing, how do I equip my child to deal with whatever's going on over there on the other side without finger pointing and making them out to be a bad person? And and they do actually, they do this knowing that um, their child is likely to encounter other people like that. So why shouldn't they have a relationship with the other parent, even if the other parent is really unwell in some way? But that's not who, that's not who you're dealing with here. You're dealing with fathers who have a, le- a legitimate claim to their children. And for whatever reason, their spouse is really angry <laughs> and yeah. trying and trying to alienate them what's the tell i'd love to hear what's the worst the worst the dirtiest worst story you have of parental alienation oh i how much time do you got um and it's and it's and i say it jokingly but it is super sad but that's that's the reality of what we're dealing with i recently had a case where um i had a wonderful wonderful father and all he wanted was 50% shared custody. Mm-hmm. Mother could not see through her anger uh, that that she just didn't like her husband anymore. Um, but she couldn't see through the anger. And there was a incident where my, my client had called the young daughter, I think she was five, 
on the cell phone just to talk, have a, a FaceTime conversation with her. And mother intercepted that call, FaceTime, got into the video frame mm -hmm. and started, when I tell you I can't, it was cringeworthy, started screaming at my client um, all sorts of profanities at the top of her lungs, like almost in a blackout rage, mm -hmm. okay? Pro probably was very much that. Like when, yeah. you're, when you're in that, for, when you're in divorce, you, you, you tend to feel like you're being under constant attack anyway. And so the, the, it's a, a lot easier to go to give in to rage. Like, having been divorced, you know, it's, I can say that that feeling's a lot more available and a lot harder to resist it. So I probably was very close to that. Yeah, and, and you know, that in and of itself, okay, you know, if it was just between the two of them, not that it's excusable or okay, but the, you know, there's a time and a place to be yeah. angry. The, the problem here is that the five-year-old daughter was sitting right next to her. Mm -hmm. And then this mother went on a tirade about, we should have never had these children. You don't mm -hmm. love them. Wow. Um, and then she started saying, you know, why don't you go, you know, blah, bleep, bleep, bleep with your whore, you know, like it got painful, painful. And what, the worst part about it is that you see this five-year-old kid on video, her face starts changing. Mm. She starts to turn white. She doesn't know what to do. She's like cower. She starts to cower mm -hmm. because she loves her father. And here's her mother on a whole nother level, not only emotionally, but saying these very vile words and, and statements and and, you know, alleging that my client never wanted these children yeah. to be born, that they she, should she, never have been born. Basically abusing not just her husband, but the child as well emotionally, and probably not even fully conscious of it in the moment, just so overtaken yeah. by her feeling. I, I, well, all right, that's a good one. That's, that's painful, a good one. So we really took, painful. So listen, that's the danger. That's the danger. And listen, we took the video straight to the courthouse right? We, we can only work within the legal confines that we have because we just wanted it to stop. We just wanted that kind of behavior to stop. Mm -hmm. so, so the topic is conversations that men have with you that they could have had with their spouse. Yeah. And coming out of that story, what are some of the conversations that you hear that might have either made the divorce gentler or maybe even avoided the divorce altogether? Honestly, it's communication and, and it's not just communication, it's effective communication. Um, and a lot of men come to me and they feel, um, again, there's always exceptions, right? But they feel disempowered. Mm -hmm. um, they feel like they were never in a real partnership. Mm -hmm. um, they feel like their wife just does and doesn't include them in, in major decisions. Um, or even just confer. I mean, maybe you don't need, you know, formal consent or anything fancy like that, but just confer, you know, keep the lines of communication open. Mm -hmm. But really, um, it's about the feel. They, they feel very disrespected mm -hmm. by their spouse, dismissed by their spouse. And one of the biggest trends that, that I've been seeing recently is this, the plan you know, people go into a relationship, people go into a marriage with a plan. 
right? They go in thinking, okay, we're going to have two kids and a white picket fence and I'm going to work and you're going to work and then we're going to buy the minivan. And they have this whole like idea of how this life is going to, to play itself out. Then something major happens. Somebody has an affair. Somebody lied about something. Mm -hmm. Somebody withdrew money without telling the other person. Somebody gets possessive over the children and doesn't let anyone else in. Or uh, parents, you know, uh, grandparents and, and sisters and brothers come into the equation and start stirring the pot. And then all of the sudden, this plan, this like beautiful picture perfect plan, whoop, gets tilted right on its head. And now nobody knows what to do. And instead of talking about it, which is, I guess, where you would come in, right? Instead of talking about it and figuring out how do we morph and shift and adjust, they just sit, they just sit in, I'm stuck to that older plan mm -hmm. and it's not working, but I don't know what else to do. Well, yeah. And, and it leads ultimately to no communication and resentment and feelings get hurt. And then there's a point of no return. Just, I, I working with i work with couples and i work with people getting divorced and having worked with both populations that's like such a mental health word populations <laughs> right, right populations having worth work with people who are going through those experiences some people come to me when they're having the experience before before the money disappears or before someone cheats or whatever they're having they're just having that experience that you describe so well of Sort of leading leading parallel lives, you know, and you're describing the husband who feels excluded. Sometimes, though, the wife is feeling excluded too, like they don't sure. know it. Sometimes they're both having the same experience. Like sure. the communication is just so non-existent because both individuals have found sat more greater satisfaction in their individual pursuits at work or with the guys or with their girlfriends or whatever. Um, that there's just not much happening at home except for, all right, did you get Johnny to work, to school? Great. Oh, I made lunch. Oh, you know, the Elmira is not coming today. You know, we're going to have to do the laundry. That's, that's the level of communication that's going on. And yeah. it's really it's like super normal actually in relation in almost all marriages I've ever seen for that to go on at some point or another. The question is when you hit that point of creating the most efficient home machine that you can, at the expense of your relationship is what happens. When do you talk about it? Do you talk about it then, or do you talk about it when you know when people start looking for gratification in other ways through spending or uh, breaking commitments to one another in other ways? Sure. So, what's the conversation that you would advise a man to have? They're uh, they're in that position. Maybe there's a guy right now who's listening to this, going, "Oh my God, you know, it's parallel lives. I know exactly what that's like." Yeah, I, I've got, I'm driving a minivan and I wanted to be driving an Audi and, you know, and the whole right. thing and the whole thing, not that, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just an experience. What would you advise that man to do? What's the conversation he should have? Well, listen, you know, easier said than done, right? I mean, to sit down with your wife, I, I actually have a video on this on my website, but you know, I'm not joking. Sit down with cookies and milk because uh, someone once said to me, and I always took it to heart who fights over cookies and milk, right? Um, so, you know, sit down and, and at least attempt to have an honest, vulnerable conversation. Now, if you think your spouse is gonna go off, off the wall and off the reservation 
from a simple, hey, I need to talk, here's how I'm feeling, then don't do it because we certainly wouldn't want to put anyone in a dangerous situation or anything like that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's it's beyond, you know, having the courage, I guess is a good word, to, to at least a, tr attempt to approach it with your spouse. Mm -hmm. And then and then it's learning what to say because yeah. having the conversation and learning what to say is equally as important. And you, you mean you, if I sit down with my wife and say, you slovenly viach, I can't believe you're not paying attention to me. Where's my nookie? How come I'm driving a minivan? Right. <laughs> you know, that's not going to work. Huh? That's not going to go far. <laughs> so, and, and you listen, let's, let's, let's call a pink elephant, a pink elephant. Each spouse knows the trigger points of the other. Intimately. Intimately. And whether you want to admit it or not, you know it. Stay away from those. This is, this is, I mean, you don't need to go there. You don't need to, and, and I always have this conversation. Again, easier said than done. I'm not trying to like say this is simple. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be right in this conversation. You don't mm. have to prove a point. You don't have to play teacher. You just have to say it from the heart where you're, what you're feeling. You don't even have to say who's to blame for it. Just say why you're feeling this. Mm -hmm. And if you can't get some movement or at least some acknowledgement of it, I think then your next step is some hardcore therapy. If, if both people are willing to go down that road, mm -hmm. um, if, if you both wanted to invest that, that energy. And again, it takes two, um, I have a side note. I have some clients that they, they want to do marriage counseling. They want to do, you know, life coaching. They want to do all these things, but the spouse has already checked out. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, I try to let them come to the realization, look, it's wonderful that you still want to try because you love her. But if she's checked out and she's giving you obstacles, you know, if she's giving you a problem for every solution, I think at some point you need to put a time limit on it and accept that reality may be at your front doorstep. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, what is your website? So people can go find that video that, that talks oh, about this. Oh, sure. It's uh, mensrightsdivorcelaw.com. And that'll be in the notes for the podcast yeah. and the video. It's blog just a little couple of minute snippet. Um, just to, And there's some other really interesting videos on there about if you are headed down the path of divorce or separation or a custody, even if you're not married, but have a visitation custody situation, there's some other really um, interesting educational videos about what you should do to start to prepare yourself. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's say that you're not in the position, you're not just leading parallel lives, but one or both of you has stepped off the path in some way or another, spending money and or, or having extramarital affairs or whatever, whatever the, is a perceived wrong in that, like in some relationships, that's actually okay. You know, whatever's a perceived wrong in that relationship. Uh, and, and you just know that no matter what you say, you're probably, you're probably not leading parallel lives, but divergent lives. Mm -hmm. So what's the conversation that you want to have then? So that you're not being alienated and attacked and uh, undercut and emasculated in front of your children and all that good stuff. Um, in that particular circumstance, and I don't want to conflate it with what we were just talking about before. Yeah. I think no communication is best. So they're mm -hmm. very two opposite recommendations mm -hmm. because when you're in that emotional space and God forbid you say something or do something that you didn't intend, but there's a different, uh, outcome anyway 
it makes it harder for the lawyers to go backwards and fix mm -hmm. it all up. So my, I always like to say there is no harm in a conversation with an attorney. There is no harm. Doesn't mean you have to hire them. Doesn't mean you have to go rushing into court or anything. Just, you know, take all your uh, preconceived notions of what lawyers do and don't do out of the equation. Have a conversation with someone experienced, no matter where you are in the state uh, or the country, um, and start to discuss a, a plan that you think makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and really, these, you know, the attorney should be talking to you about your goals, your, your short term goals and your long term goals, your options right? The pros and the cons of each option, the expense of choosing one option over the other, mm -hmm. and what you should or shouldn't do today, and what you shouldn't, should or shouldn't do tomorrow, mm -hmm. what you should and shouldn't say. Absolutely. Things yeah. like that. I, when I, and when I've had clients come to me who say they're thinking of getting a divorce, my pat response is, you need to talk to an attorney. You need to know what your legal rights are. You need to know what the boundaries are. You need to know, but if you're going to make a decision, you need to make an educated decision, not an emotional exactly. one, not it, just an emotional one. Correct. I mean, it all starts emotional. And you know, I, um, I had a few clients recently say to me, I want to know what the divorce process is about in order to decide I want to get a divorce. And I said, hold up here. I understand where you're coming from, but I think your line of thinking might be a little backwards. I don't, if, if I told you the divorce process was X, Y, or Z, and you didn't like it, does that mean you're just going to stay married and be miserable? Mm -hmm. I, I think we need to get to the bottom of what it looks like if you stay in this relationship, what well, it looks like if you don't stay in this relationship. It is possible even that people don't want to get divorced. I mean, I have a friend, not a client, who felt the divorce process was too expensive and too messy and came to an agreement with his wife where they live in separate homes. And, you know, when she dies or he dies, they'll, the, the inheritance will be split a certain way. And they, they're just not getting divorced. They're like, we're divorced, but we're not, but they have legal agreements that allow them to live the way they are, that it was less expensive for them than the divorce option. So, yeah. but, but that's still required talking to a Carrie Schultz and, <laughs> and her and her counterpart. They didn't just sit down and figure it out alone. Yeah, and I think I think in your example, it's really important to understand where they are at their stage of life because that might be good for the first three years. Yeah, they're in their and, 80s. Okay, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> With grown children. Right. And grandchildren. And so, but when I get someone who's, you know, 40, 50, 60, because, you know, that, I don't want anyone to be short-sighted about it because the minute you know, life does go on, believe it or not. I know nobody on this call may, you know, may think that far in advance, but you will eventually meet someone else. You will, may eventually want to get remarried. Then they, what? They even met other people and showed up to Thanksgiving with their other people. And somehow that worked for them, but that's a yeah. really rare and unusual situation where exactly. people have that kind of understanding. Hey, the question I ask everyone as we near the end is, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind, Carrie Schultz? That is a fantastic question. What's the legacy you want to leave behind? The legacy I want to leave behind? Uh-huh. You know, I, I think the nutshell, in a nutshell, it would be to leave the world better than I found it. But big picture, I'm on a mission to ensure that children are always on the front burner, not in between people or shuttled off to the side. 
that they're not collateral damage or they're not direct damage, you know, of whatever's going on. I want people to end the fight and put their future and their children first. That's kind of the big picture mission. Yeah, and you know what, I'm- But I'm not being interviewed here. <laughs> well, I wanted to know. Um, well, I, I'm right there with you because again, from my experience, I said, who, who was thinking about me? I know that they're fighting. I know their mm -hmm. worlds are topsy-turvy, but at the end of the day, who thought about that six-year-old when my parents were getting divorced, the long-term impact that this situation was gonna have on me? And so I think my lasting, you know, to, to directly answer your question is to make sure that we're looking at everything holistically, not just for now or not just in the next three years. But I, you know, I say to my clients all the time, while you're talking to me about this, that and the other thing happening now, I'm wondering, can you and your spouse, you know, sit in the same room at your at your kid's college graduation? Mm -hmm. What's it going to be like when they get married and have grandkids? So, so I want to make sure that we're protective of the family unit. Yes, that will look differently, but the family unit as a whole, and nobody's out to screw anybody here. Nobody's out to screw a spouse. We want to just make sure everyone's on a somewhat equal playing field moving forward. Yeah. The, the best quote I ever heard about divorce is nobody wins, but we want everyone to lose equally. Yeah. A Which good is, for me as a coach, it's really hard. Like as a coach, we want every situation to be win-win. <laughs> we um we say that a good settlement, because a lot of you want to you want to settle your case to the extent you can. A good settlement is when the two of you are equally unhappy. Yeah. So long as you're equally unhappy. But and that's oddly probably what works best for the children, you know, to know that both people did their best to keep keep balance. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Yeah, I, it's such a pleasure to have you. You're very well-spoken and very passionate about your work, which is refreshing, let me tell you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for me. having me. It was good to see you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.